Welcome to The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha Bhushan, and this is your oasis for strengthening your mental and emotional fitness, no matter what life tosses your way. I am so excited you're here. Just like you, I wear many hats. I'm a former dentist turned author and serial entrepreneur, currently a mom of two, and a recovering perfectionist. Every week, we'll navigate brave conversations to support your evolution at every season and stage of your life. Raw and unfiltered, we'll explore all the feels as we unpack life's unpredictable moments, from the playful to the painful, the magical and the messy, and everything in between this epic human experience. You ready? Let's dive in. Well, hello, hello, Brave Table fam. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha Bhushan, and welcome to your oasis, your destination of all things being a little bit more brave. Today, I want to ask you something. How are you in your friendships and relationships? Are you one that initiates? Are you the person that is the nurturer in your relationships? Or are you somebody that is not that great in relationships? This episode is geared towards helping you brave your relationships, even when times get hard and tough. Because let's face it, isn't the world just a little bit better with friends in it? I mean, come on. You know we have our besties and you're thinking of them right now, the ones that have lifted you through some hard times who make you laugh and maybe who you travel the world with. So today I am introducing you to Erwin Valencia. He is literally the power connector and he is not only my brother from another mother, he is a fellow Filipino Erwin Valencia is also a wellness and high performance expert and coach and a mentor, and he is the actual wellness lead for the New York Knicks. That's right, my basketball fans out there. He's also a gratitude coach, and he is the founder of the Grasshopper Project, a nonprofit mentorship program dedicated to inspiring future masters in the world of movement. He definitely wears many hats. Some people really think that we are brother and sister, but the common through line with Erwin and all of these endeavors and the thing that I admire him most is his superpower when it comes to creating and nurturing communities around the globe and not just one-on-one friendships. I mean, he does this and he makes them long lasting in these meaningful relationships. And this episode, he breaks down how he does it, what the key secret sauce is. And if you are just in a room, and I'm sure when we get into the episode, you'll just feel his energy. It's kind of like talking to a long lost friend. And we've had many, many travels together, especially including on the playa at Burning Man. And I mean, wow, it it seems like it's so, so many lifetimes. And we're going to get into concepts like how to embrace if you are the brown sheep of the family. Erwin talks about going rogue against kind of his strict Filipino upbringings of not wanting to do what his other family members were doing, like going into medicine or going into, you know, the traditional jobs. And not only that, how to really understand quality over the quantity of friends and how that actually changes as we, you know, get older or we have different stages in our life. 
and think of the stage that you are in in your life. Are you the one that, like, I mean, for example, I know in my 20s, it was very different. Like, I loved being around so many people and had different friends for every single thing. And now, you know, in this stage of my life where I'm in, being in Texas, I'm not traveling as much, but it's great because now I get to hang out with other moms, and moms, you know this for a fact, who are in that similar season of life with me. And it it's like brownie points if they even live like five minutes away because we share the same commonalities. You know, and I think in my 30s, it was all around, you know, people who you would be traveling with. And, and that's why I've been able to, to create and cultivate such really deep friendships over shared experiences like Burning Man, like plant medicine, like, you know, a retreat and things like that. So think of where you've met some of your soul fam as like, I like to call it. And we're going to talk about how if you are, you just haven't been good at cultivating relationships, it's not too late. This is the episode to tune into, to really sharpen your skills and perhaps even create your own community wherever you go. So without further ado, let's welcome Erwin Valencia, or I like to call him E to the Brave Table. Today, we get to bring, oh my gosh, one of my dearest soul brothers. Oh man. E to the Brave Table. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Your, your BTS. <laughs> yes, my BTS army sign. Your you know. BTS army sign. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're the one who taught me that, by the way. Yes, I've been teaching everybody. And everyone's like, are you Korean? I'm actually not. So it kind of makes like, oh, but I, I was supposed to be in a boy band. So that kind of makes, gives me the license to do that. So. I guess it, yeah, I guess it does. Like, yeah, I didn't even know who BTS was without you. I was living under a box. It was, it was not that long ago too. I know, it was not that long. <laughs> Meanwhile, BTS contributing to 2% of the gross GDP of the country of Korea. So. <laughs> I knew that there was a big Korean boy band. I just did not know what their name was. And then we're like doing the, you know, the little like, um, for those of you listening, it's just, it's the little, it's their sign. There's their signage. It's is the tiny heart. heart. Oh, is it the tiny heart? Yeah, because like, let's say, oh, like, oh, if I have something in my pocket, I need oh. to pick it up. Like, what is this? It's my heart. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> it's it's totally you. It's totally you, of course. <laughs> the lover of, of love and my fellow oh. Cancerian brother. Mm. So you have also been a fellow black sheep, brown sheep. Mm. So I, I want to start with taking us through kind of your very unique journey and where you started and where you are today. Wow. Um, that journey is a very long-winded story. It's a long one. I think I will begin at my grandmother's house in Davao City in the Philippines as we, we used to live in a compound, me and my cousins, we used to live in a compound in Davao City. And we would always go to my grandmother's house because obviously she served breakfast. My Lola, she's always... Shout out breakfast. Davao. Yeah, mm-hmm. shout out to all the Filipinos in the house. And then my Lola would always have breakfast. So we always make sure there was food. And, but then the beautiful thing about going to my grandmother's house, and, and at this time I was like maybe six or seven, is that she had this massive collection of Encyclopedia Britannica, oh massive gosh. collection of Hardy Boys. I remember that. collection of Nancy oh, Drew. Nancy you know, Drew too? Nancy oh my Drew. gosh. Encyclopedia yeah. Britannica. That yeah. was like... 
pre pre Google guys <laughs> like those, those books were like that thick, and you had to literally research like whatever it was like alligators in I don't know in the in, in different parts of the world or like lions, and you're like, oh okay. This took and, time and it took you know, effort. Yeah, it really took time and effort. But the funny thing is the interest I had had to do with history and exploration and looking at things that were the unknown. I was most fascinated by the fact that the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew both looked were mysteries. They were looking for solutions to problems that were otherwise unknown. And that also led me to going to the Encyclopedia Britannica and trying to discover things like you know, like Rapa Nui, you know, Easter Island, which really became my inspiration and almost in life to like look at adventure and travel to the far-flung regions of the galaxy, so to speak, with Mm -hmm. the answers to why these heads are in the middle of an island that has nobody in it. And Mm. at the time I was, you know, like six years old, five, six years old in Davao City. And I was like, I just... I want to go there someday. And it was one of my dreams. And, and you know, that actually did not get fulfilled till maybe 30 years later when, when commercial airlines were finally allowed in Rapa Nui, you know, and... Uh, and Rapa Nui, okay. Oh know, my Easter goodness. Island or Easter Island. Yeah, it took it. With, it's, and the reason why it's so fascinating for me, it was one of the most isolated islands in the world that was inhabited. It was the most inhabited, isolated islands in the planet. Oh, where wow. It's a six mile radius of nothingness around there but water. And the funny story is when I finally got there, it took me coming from World Music Conference, aka Ultra in Miami, partying <laughs> for four days straight and then hopping on a flight while the rest of my apartment was passed out and said, yo guys, I got to go and catch a flight to go to Easter Island, which then took me 36 hours to get there. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, and where did this love of like exploration and because you've been to like tons of countries and had so many different experiences around the globe. Where did that really come from? Was that from your Lola? I think it, it's, it's something that's inherent in every Filipino. I think inside mm. of us is this knack and need to wander and to check out mm. other cultures. We are an island nation, an island culture, and we're host of hosts. So we feel like every time people come to the Philippines, we want to take care of them. But then We don't need anything from those people that come and visit the Philippines. But all we want is for us to be taken care of when we go visit the opposite way. When we go there, it's like, we'll take care of you here. All we want is for you to then show us around or even give us a couch when we come visit you. And I think inherently that's always been the exchange. It's like friendship for friendship. I think for me, it's always been that way. It's always been like, how can I continue to be the best host as I can? How can I continue to be the best nurturer of community that I can be? So that then when I find myself in an odd place in a different part of the planet, I can almost guarantee I know somebody there. So, you know, like pretty much, except for Antarctica, which I'm sad I'm not going to get to Antarctica with the rest of our family in March here. Oh, darn. Uh, yeah, that would be that yeah. would be a great one. We'll yeah. we'll have to go on another voyage. Yeah, well, uh, you you and me, and I, we'll, we'll do something else different. Something. We'll do we'll do something else. Well, what I love about you and kind of our walk together because we we met like almost what is it now eight eight nine, nine years ago now yeah, I think almost nine years nine? ago. Oh my gosh, it. that's that is so bold, so wild. But instantly we became soul fam, and you've had so many different passions. Like you are what people know you day to day. I want to say what people know you day to day in in professional basketball. But then also you have this this love of of 
dance. So take us <laughs> through. I, I would love to bring that to the table and unpack your love of, of dance. My love of dance, once again, comes back to being part of the culture. You know, I think it's part of our culture every Christmas to have some sort of show during our Christmas parties for our families. And then you think it's just limited to Christmas? No, I think it's anytime there's a family gathering. Which is like almost every weekend. I mean, you're not back in the Philippines (laughs) or even on the East Coast. (laughs) Or Fiesta or something, you know, and like, and so I think it's it's sort of like, it's like a rite of passage to then Mm -hmm. as a young person in the family to present something. If singing was your thing, then you'd be singing. If reading poetry was your thing, then reading poetry was your thing. But mine happened to be dancing. I just, I loved movement. You know, I started martial arts when I was, you know, six, seven years old. And I, um, and I loved movement and dancing Mm -hmm. in the most formal sense of the word probably came from the fact that my parents always had these ballroom dancer teachers, you know, the DIs, if you must, the dancers Ah. come to the house and, and teach and my mom and dad had a dance. And then at one point when I was about 16 years old, my mom purposely hired one of these, uh, probably not even cl- younger than that, maybe 13, 14. My mom hired one of these DIs to come and teach us how to dance uh, ballroom. And at the time I was like, why would I want to learn ballroom and hold at 13 years old? Hand? Yeah, 14. Like, why well, am I going to hold a girl's hand and dance like waltz? And, you know. Because <laughs> that's and, what you do. And the foxtrots. But it was a thing that, the old, what we call matronas, so all the old people, the old ladies mm-hmm. back in Manila would do. But then if you were like a young guy and you had a bit of a look, you could like move your way across the, uh, not the just dance the dance floor. floor, but the social world by right. mere fact that you knew how to dance. And so it was inherent that I learned it because my mom always hosted these parties that had like a hundred to 200 people. So, Oh my goodness, of course then, she did. Of course. And instead of like constantly hiring DIs, there was a period of time I was old enough they're like, we'll just train you. Then we don't have to pay somebody to come and dance with the old ladies here. Oh, no way. So <laughs> then that was your thing. You would dance with all of the, uh, the, Lolas. the Lolas. Yeah. yeah. And the oh, aunties. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. But it wasn't, I wasn't passionate about dancing at all. It's just that I remember being third grade, going back and being in the US and living my uncle and my godfather, which is a whole different story of how I even got there. But mm-hmm. I remember that I was, I was so in love with breakdancing. I actually joined my first Michael Jackson dance-like contest. No, you I'm didn't. Seven? Oh, with, seven? With, yeah, with like my glove and my... For the Rotary Club, for my dad's Rotary Club in Davao. I lost it, but I had a lot of fun. I just really enjoyed it. And that led to me going into breakdancing and b-boying. Oh and next, goodness. you know, I found myself in California living with my uncle when I was eight, nine, and I would breakdance. Wow. So I can totally imagine little E at seven with his Michael Jackson gloves and the black hat and just uh, trying to moonwalk. I totally, I can can totally picture it with all of your hats in the background right now, too, by the way, (laughs) for everybody watching this. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that was just like, remember, that was just the beginning of it because it wasn't that if we were done fast forward to that time I was learning how to ballroom dance, what actually then shifted my idea into the true passion of dance was at the age of 16, I became a hip hop choreographer for like ah. school. And I was that kid at that age, everyone was into Nirvana and Guns N' Roses. And I was mm-hmm. like a rebel. I was a rebel because I loved hip hop, 90s hip hop and R&B. And I just, right? 
And I was, that was, that was the jam. That was the jam. jam. I I try to imagine I was one of the boys to men on a regular basis. Walking, walking the beach singing, let's not wait till the water runs dry. (laughs) You know, like with the linen outfit. Oh, I was all about it. Oh man, all about it. With the hat too. Yeah, with the hat. The fedora. That's how fedora Mm -hmm. started for me was with boys to men. Whatever runs dry. There you go. Shout out boys to men. (laughs) Where are you at? Oh man. Wanya Morris, what's up brother? Parts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh wow yeah and wow. then that because evolved yeah that evolved then into salsa and, and salsa led to mm. bachata and kizomba and and going to buenos aires to learn tango and all the other good stuff so that's that's kind of like dancing has been my blood really since i was a little boy wow and of course because it is you're right it is part of the culture and i even remember like being really little and my dad would try to get us to do like bunker dancing and indian classical dancing but my mom she had you know she's like the stronghold and she was like nope they're going to do they're they're going to do all of that but they're also going to do filipino dancing and the traditional like the tinikling oh my god and the <laughs> at, there was like the one dance where you the, put with the with the candles with the candles in the water and then jumping on the benches. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. And like, you gotta go like this. <laughs> exactly. This and fall. Like, I don't know. I don't want to do it. It's going to fall. So, no, exactly. I mean, those were, those were some of the OG dances. And of course, you'd always have a Filipino party afterwards. And there was such a sense of community. And I feel like that's who you are in and of itself, like you are the master of, like, I think I'm a gatherer, but I feel like you are even, even more of a gatherer of of folks. And where do you think that, I mean, besides, of course, our lineage and our ancestors, where and how has that felt true to you? I I think uh, you mentioned the word gatherer. I, I think I'm less of a gatherer and more of a nurturer. Like, I like the group to, to form organically, but once they're formed, the relationships I have with people last lifetimes. And I think that began really with witnessing how our family gatherings happen in the Philippines and witnessing my mom really mm-hmm. make sure that it was an experience every time. It wasn't just like, oh, come to the house and eat. No. There were phases. Uh, that's why I learned the phases of parties. There was like, oh, the merienda first. Come in early, have some tea, some coffee, maybe some cake, and then kind of like hang out a little bit. And then after that, then you'll go to like, oh, dinner time's coming. But wait, didn't we just have coffee and tea? Now dinner is actually coming. So now you have the appetizers. You have the big lechon or the baka or like the, the Mongolian grill situation. And then you have yes. that. And then afterwards, there's like, music because there's a program and then after the program there's there's dancing you know there's the DIs will start coming and dancing with people. so there were phases and I think oh, the brilliance and it would last the, the whole day yeah they would last the whole day so yeah. I think the brilliance that I learned from my mom is that when you take care of people don't just say oh here's here's a bottle of water have at it but like if you're going to give somebody a bottle of water let them experience why this water is so valuable why the taste and what the taste of it's so different and so it's about like the true experience it's so funny as we, you and I have experienced a lot of our, you know, friends' dinners and Shabbat dinners and these events, these heart-to-table events like Layla's, these experience-based dinner events. It's something I grew up with. You know, I didn't just go to dinner to dinner. This was like a whole day affair or whole night affair that had multiple phases. And I think for me, wanting to give that experience to anyone that comes into my circle, to know that I'm truly showing up for them fully 
is I think what I think believe is one of my superpowers as a nurturer of community, because we're not just mm-hmm. talking about one person and one person, then we'll go to somebody else and say, Hey, you're going to New York. You need to call E because when he gives you an experience, it's like a whole situation. So you better clear your calendar. You don't just show up for the game or just show up for dinner. It's such phase one or phase mm-hmm. two of the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I think for me, that creates more lasting relationships because you get to know people much closer and then in turn, allow for that relationship to then grow and simmer like a nice fine stew. Oh, I love that. Like a nice fine stew. There you go. You go eat. Like a synagogue, you know. A synagogue. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> that Literally, that is my favorite Filipino dish. Synagogue. With, yeah. with, with, Which is with tamarind fish. soup for, for those yeah. who don't know. Tamarind soup. Ta- tamarind soup, but usually I would have it with fish. And it was, yeah. I think it was tilapia growing up. Yeah, yeah. The best. Mm. Oh, oh, the best. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's that's what I miss about you. It's like we would go and do Filipino food <laughs> in New York. That's like my jam. Yeah. So I want to segue into, because you being this nurturer of community, I kind of want to unpack that more because you then have this, your, your professional light in, you know, in professional basketball. How have you brought that to your, your, your super nurturer gifts and your powers to professional basketball? I think, and I feel that it's been a step for me and a blessing to be able to find myself in a platform that allows a lot of the kids that never knew that they could make it to a place that they dreamed of and use me as an inspiration and an example for that to happen. And that has occurred, not just because of the fact that it's something I dreamed about when I was 18, but rather the steps that I took in order for me to get here, which included making sure that the relationships I had were something that were real and long lasting. I think mm. in today's world and this metaversal social world, people forget that what truly makes a difference in people's lives is not just is social net worth rather than actual net worth, mm-hmm. but social net worth in the true form where people actually have a true connection to each other. And so I think it was the relationships that I created that allowed me to find myself in the spot because when I found myself in this role, I was in professional baseball for eight years took two years to do my own thing and travel the world and and continue to build community and to share the knowledge I've gained through my eight years of baseball to places around the world with no readily access through my company, Kinetic, and then my now nonprofit called Grasshopper Project. And, you know, and then I wasn't applying to any position when I looked at trying to get a job in professional basketball. I mean, right after baseball, I kind of tried, but I knew that wasn't the right fit. Then I got denied it and I was heartbroken. But you know what? I said, the universe has its plan and mm. I will be there at the right time. And really it took me just letting go completely and trusting the universe that the relations I've had in the past would then spread my, I guess, my presence everywhere. And so I didn't even know how and who told the sports world and the basketball world that I was technically a free agent because I was in the middle of Prague uh, celebrating my birthday, giving hugs to strangers for three hours on my birthday and wishing for the universe and God to say, hey, there's one thing I ever wish for. It's an opportunity to be in the world of basketball at the highest level so then I can serve as an inspiration for kids in the Philippines that a kid come from Manila can make it to a dream place that they've always dreamed of. That's huge. That's huge because we see it in the work that you do in the nonprofit, which I also want to kind of segue into in just a second. But on this thread of 
just relationships. I feel like, especially in the last few years, since the world has kind of shut down and now we're slowly starting to kind of open again, I feel like with relationships, it's been, for many people, it's been hard to cultivate because, you know, in the house and all of the things, it's kind of shape-shifted the way that we've had to really create community and cultivate community. And you as like the leader of nurturing community in so many ways, what advice do you give to people who struggle with cultivating friendships? That's a great, great question. I like that question. I think that the key thing is to not rush, allow for things to just flow naturally. And people think that, hey, I need to, I feel so lonely So because I, I, I don't have like five people, 10 people around me that can help me be better or whatever. I think the key is to just find that one, two people that are your friends at the highest level. Those that are your ride or dies, as people would call them. And if they are there for you and you are there for them, I think you will find that you are not going to be as lonely as you think you are. And let's say if that person isn't your partner, so to speak, I think one of the ways that I've found that's been amazing is that you, in a way, divvy up the roles uh, of Mm -hmm. who's then the person that kind of lifts you up when you're down and who's the person that you need that extra pumping, your coach or whatever you call it. And then also who's the person who you just call to sulk. And sometimes Mm -hmm. if your life partner, so to speak, is not that person, as long as there's communication between you two and they're saying, hey, look, this is my friend. This is the person I vent with and I sulk with. It's nothing against you. It's just some someone that does that for me. And so uh, I think there's an open communication like that. It allows you then to grow your team, so to speak. Mm. I think each one of us needs that team. And you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with, even if that means virtually. And if you mm. have people that you call that you're your top five, and okay, which role does each person serve at the moment in time? Remember, you're not forgetting people that have been with you in the past or those who you'll meet in the future. But knowing that these five got your back completely, no matter what happens. And then what I do personally is that, and particularly during the pandemic, I reached out to almost like one person every day that I haven't spoken to in maybe at least six months to 10 years. I, I, I called a friend of mine who I met at a laundromat in Barcelona while I was backpacking 20 years ago because oh we continue gosh. just to be friends, but really haven't deep dived in like 10 years. And I said, hey, I just wanted to just give you a shout and check in how you're doing in that part of the world. And we haven't caught up in 10 years. I just want to know how you're doing. And then maybe I won't speak to them for another 10 years, but at least I got to catch up with them, building and nurturing that relationship so that at any given point in time, I said, hey, I'm flying to Australia. The world is now open. And the first thing they'll usually do is like, why don't you come stay with us? Mm. And I think it's because of the fact that I just didn't forget people. And then yes, there's periods of time that they will take before the connections come again, but people will always remember, you know, what you did for them at any given point in time. And especially if it was good. Mm. Like I said, you're the master of that. <laughs> you are the master of that and, and really nurturing friendships. And I think to your point of, you know, people think that, oh, we need, we need 10 or we need five. And we actually don't. And I mean, just, you know, two or three, I think, like kind of to your point is so... And I think it also goes into the amount of effort because it seems like... And I... Well, I know you personally, of course, but you definitely put a lot of effort into friendships. 
And it's almost like you are so intentional about meeting people. And for those who perhaps career is on their mind or even just family is on their mind that it's the last thing that they think about, what do you think that they could do to start perhaps prioritizing friendships and I'm not saying, well, friendships as relationships, but friendships. Mm-hmm. What I feel like sometimes we we forget is the simplicity of saying hello. And if we think about those that have maybe gone out of their way to show up for us, and if you can count them by your hands, then those are what we, as I call, the, your ride or dies. And those are the ones that you need to make sure that you constantly keep up with. But then also leaving room for magic to occur with those relationships that you meet like randomly. Because you'll never know what the universe has in store for you, for somebody you meet at a laundromat where 10 years, 20 years later, they become a lawyer, a big lawyer in in Perth, Australia, or next, you know, they're congresswoman or something like that. Or next thing, they're running for president of a country because of the fact that you just, the amazing people you meet, maybe just sitting down. I'll give you a little example. I was flying from Cape Town to South Africa. I think this was 2012 or 2013. And I was taking one of these like little like like kind of Southwest Sea kind of fights, the little, you know, budget airlines. Tiny, that, yeah, the tiny flights. Well, tiny ones. I'm sitting down there and 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 I sit here and there's a there's a, a very fine gentleman that was sitting probably like uh, there was a space between us, but he was sitting next to us. He was he kind of reminded me of James Earl Jones, you know. And mm. James Earl Jones, he was he had this ominousness to him. And the gentleman saw me wearing a hat that said P. It's like the Pittsburgh Pirates hat, because I was working for the organization at that time. And uh, he looked at me and says, is that hat a Major League Baseball hat? He says it in his very ominous voice. I was like, do you know about baseball? I go, yes, sir. I actually worked for a professional baseball team for, you know, for eight years. And he goes, oh, I know about the Pirates. But did you know, son, that baseball has been in South Africa for more than a couple of decades now? And I was like, what? It turns out. (laughs) After our conversation, this gentleman happens to be the president of the South African Baseball Union. No way. And he says, (laughs) he says, we're on our way to Johannesburg to go to Pretoria because we have an actual weekend tournament for baseball in Africa where everyone in Africa is coming to South Africa to Pretoria to participate in a tournament. We're going to scout possible people that we can then farm into academies into the United States. And we'd love for you would love for you to come in and visit. And I'm like, I'm in, you know, because oh I, gosh. And, and I think the lesson there is like just having these conversations and valuing at the period of time, where are these people in your depth charts of friendships? Mm-hmm. And you obviously at the period of time where you are, keep them, nurture them. And then let's say if that falters, which sometimes it happens because life happens, but then if mm-hmm. something else comes up or if they come visit you after 10 years, then it's something's rekindled. It doesn't mean that you're going to be permanently BFFs it just means that there's something in there that you can hold in your back of your head, in your back pocket, that you know that both of you mean something to each other. Mm. Hello there, loves. I just wanted to pop right in and 
check in with you. How are you feeling this time of year? Wanted to check in because it's often that we have so much momentum and excitement for new projects, people, and things, and then we begin to lose steam. So if you've had moments of lack of energy or lack of motivation, feeling stuck, or not having as much motivation as you had before, you're not alone. Being exposed to the same cycles of stressful moments again and again without a pause button, honestly, it's a total wreck to your nervous system. And I definitely don't want you to enter burnout. That's right. That's why I have the solution for you. Lately, I've had so many friends, mamas and entrepreneurs tell me the same thing, that they're in a funk and just plain burnt out. And honestly, I totally get it. It doesn't help if you're trying to run a household, your business, kids, and get your personal life on track too. Not to mention be a total perfectionist in the process. So after hearing so many people share the same struggle, I decided to create my burnout recovery kit. That's right. It's what I created having gone through burnout many, many times. And this will not only help you kick it out, but conquer it for good. It's literally the pause button that you need in your daily routine. So in this burnout recovery kit, it's kind of like your SOS kit. I have 11 powerful questions for you. These are questions with prompts that I use when I start to hit roadblocks and feel super drained so that I can regain my focus and clarity around what I'm trying to accomplish. So you can grab your free copy of your burnout SOS kit here at globalgrit.co backslash burnout kit. That's right. Absolutely yours for free. So you can start the process and share it with your friends globalgrit.co that is g-l-o-b-a-l-g-r-i-t dot c-o backslash burnout b-u-r-n-o-u-t k-i-t i promise you that if you take the time to sit with yourself settle in and work through these you will kick and hopefully prevent burnout from getting back into your life. So Brave Table fam, make sure you head over to globalgrit.co backslash burnout kit and grab your copy of the burnout recovery kit so that you can conquer burnout. It is my free gift to all of you listeners, which includes a video walkthrough from me on how to best use it and the best practices for doing so. So go ahead and grab it now at globalgrit.co backslash burnout kit, B-U-R-N-O-U-T-K-I-T. And now back to the show. I love that you mentioned that you know, it doesn't have to be everyday kind of BFFs, but even just reconnecting with somebody five years later or 10 years later, as, as you've been able to do in your random kind of encounters, you can create a book around all of your adventures and encounters all over the world about connection. And I think it would be so powerful because that's who you are. That's what you embody so much. And I mean, I think it's such a testament to how we tend to view friendships so fleeting now that we have social media. Because a lot of times we can just kind of DM somebody and start, you know, the interaction in that way. And I don't know how deep it can necessarily get. Some people might argue and say, oh my gosh, no, I get really deep on social media. I still prefer what you are saying in terms of having those deep dives either in person or because I also love to travel in different parts of the world. But recently, I actually rekindled a few childhood friendships that had gone you know, stale probably 
and I shouldn't say stale, but they they just kind of you know faltered for whatever reason. Life got in the way, and babies, and certain things, and and we just kind of lost connection until we rekindled, and it was so beautiful. And it was almost like the spark kind of came back to when we were like back in high school or early 20s, you know, navigating that. So as you say this, it's kind of like, oh man, like no matter where you are in friendships, it's almost like you can even make a list of people right now and make that intention of like reaching out to them and saying that you were even just thinking of them because you do this so well. Like I'll get a text from you or I'll get a voice note from you and it's just, it feels really good. And it's almost like you need to be the friend that you want to have for other people. And I feel like that's why you've had such incredible friendships. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly, you, you need to be the friend that you want to have. I think that that in itself encompasses everything. For me, that defines the friendships that I have. It's like, how do I want that person to show up for me if I come visit them so to speak, it's like, I want to make sure I take care of them in the place that I am in so that then when I come visit them, my hope is that they return the favor. And not that it has to be a quick or a pro by any means, but then just kindness besieges kindness. And I think that's a lesson of anyone that's listening in nowadays is that you don't have to create drama. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Meeting people doesn't mean that you have to spend a lot of money. I think there's, that's like the weird fallacy where you meet people and then it has to be fancy and whatever. You know, some of the most down-home experiences are the actual ones, almost grimy ones, are the ones that actually create this long-lasting relationships. Because you look back and said, remember that time you went to that place? I can't believe we went in there. But guess what? It was the best time I've ever had in my life. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that we all have to learn is that it doesn't take fanciness. It just, it just takes an experience of two people, three people, four people, or however many that is truly something that's different. And then it becomes unforgettable. So true. So true. And and I want to kind of segue this into kind of why we were able to dive so deeply. And you've been part of every single like evolution that I've had, <laughs> knowing you right, even huh? when I was <laughs> knowing you even when I was what, like, you know, super afraid of love and so closed off and still a dentist. And so just like, you know, and I think that because you've been to Burning Man how many times? Seven. 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 Okay. And I remember my very first burn was with you mm-hmm. and several of our other, you know, community Friends. soul fam. <laughs> and I think you're right. In those gritty types of scenarios and situations, we were on the playa for probably a week. We like kind of saw each other like maybe a couple of times, but in those moments, it was just, you know, this deeply shared connection and dancing. I mean, Take us through your burn and what it's like for those who have never who have never been. It's a whole process. Mm-hmm. It's a whole process with you know costumes and and everything. I mean, take us through the. I guess yeah, the, the time that we went I, to. I, I like I like to say that I think I've gone to a point now that I'm kind of vet status in a sense. You really are. I think we've gone to a point now that I know my process to get ready for the burn and to what I do, what's in there. And so what's funny as I always use the burn, which is around August, as almost my grounding for the next year. This is where I set my intention. So as much as initially it was, yes, about partying, going on, all this stuff, I actually use it to reset myself, to reflect on the year that was, and then, you know, to then plan for the, for really the next 
couple of months to set that intention on a, on a most vague basis and then use the burn to kind of pilot things. Mm-hmm. And then once I kind of fine tune a little bit, then use the next three months before December comes to kind of determine what that goal, mission, intention is for the following year. It's kind of like what you and Ajit did as you guys went to in January, as you went to, the, is it Utah or, or something? Yeah, like? yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I do that ironically at Burning Man. So Incredible. I think because of the fact that now I know my process, I've been there long enough where I know what I need to do. These are the things I need to see, these things I need to do. I need to make sure I have time for myself so mm. that then in a way it's created this process, which even I, I use in my life, which is pretty much combining my left brain and my right brain, my scientific and my creative side saying like, I'm going to create myself an outline in order for magic to occur in between. Mm. So, and I do that even with the, and it begins for me every year at Burning Man. So it's ironic that these past two years, I haven't been to the burn, but then I still use that opportunity both times to be able to find myself in that state where I'm both reflecting and then looking forward. And last year for me, I didn't go to Renegade Burn, but rather decided to do the Camino de Santiago de Compostela and walk that pilgrimage across Spain. Wow, that's huge. That's huge. I totally (laughs) want to ask about that. I totally want to ask about that. But I think that, you know, just wrapping up this bow around creating long-lasting friendships. I mean, it's through, and for those of you who've never been to the burn, it is, at least for, you know, E and I, it's been this time to self-discover and to deepen and nurture friendships because you have to carry, you know, all of your costumes and all of the things to be, you know, self-sufficient in the playa, which is basically the dust and you're creating something out of completely nothing and then taking all of your trash and garbage with you literally and figuratively too yeah (laughs) literally all of those things with you and it's such a special place because i think that so many people with that intention of dropping in you know not the superficialness but really going much deeper and really seeing your heart and really seeing your soul and having, you know, shared vulnerability of what's coming up for you. I feel like we connected and and went deep so fast. And I just maybe saw you like two times that burn. But it was great because then it was like, oh yeah, remember when we went to Bubbles and Bass together at like eight in the morning Mm -hmm. on a, you know, bike ride. And it was, I think, after Ajit and I got married that one year where we were just like... Biking having around, yeah. yeah biking around and just like enjoying the you know the sunrise yeah it was amazing but those are those shared moments not that everybody needs to go to burning man i mean it would be great uh but you know to find those elements of shared relationship building that you can you know really nourish those friendships and relationships yeah i, I mean whether that's at burning man whether that's simply in your neighborhood or even in the metaverse i think there's possible ways to create these relationships and harness them accordingly, as long as you make sure you don't get catfished. I, I think, <laughs> I think uh, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, that's a whole I, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. I'm very lucky to knock on wood. I haven't been part of that, but I think what happens is that if you send out authenticness, authenticity, and authenticness, and and raw realness to the universe, I think you get it back. And I feel I get it back. And so I think I've been very blessed to be able to have these relationships that have last lifetimes now because of the fact that I start off from a pure heart with pure intention, then I get it back. And, I, and as much as people are, are not trusting 
all the time now because of what's happening in the world. They know that if you come from a pure heart and a pure space, that they're going to at least stop and think and be like, you know what? That Dudashi was a nice guy, you know? And I think mm-hmm. it's something I want to connect with. And because of that, you end up having friends forever. So true. So, so, so good. So amazing. So <laughs> you dropped that you did the Camino de Santiago. So can you, because <laughs> that's that's a huge spiritual pilgrimage all on its own. What was the impetus behind that? And mm. what were some of the nuggets that you received? Because that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. Number one, uh, the burn was the renegade burn. So I, I didn't really feel too called to go there, but I still needed a spiritual journey, a reset, like I did every year around end of August, like basically Labor Day weekend. And I was in Spain early in the summer. And mm-hmm. I said, if I was in a relationship and uh, and I said, if I can't have my partner come to the US to go to Burning Man, maybe I can create a mini Burning Man in Spain. You know, go down to Amazing. Almeria, where the West, the, the, the spaghetti westerns were filmed and do a mini Burning Man there or something. And ironically, like 10 people were already volunteering to come. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be an organizer for this. <laughs> this is going to be crazy. No, I'm, okay, let's take it easy. And then it hit me while I was there. I was like, wait, maybe I should do the Camino. My mom did it six years prior to. I trained her for it because she was inspired from me climbing Kilimanjaro in 2011 to raise money for kids in Dominican Republic, Florida, Africa, and the Philippines. And oh so goodness. it was one of those things that I trained. After that, my mom did it, I think, in 2016 or something. And so I was inspired by that. I said, you know what? This is something that maybe I can share with my mother that her and I are the only one in our family to have done it. And so... Can you take us through like what, like how long is the Camino for those who've never heard what the Camino is? Yeah. So the Camino de Santiago is a more than thousand year old pilgrimage that is one of the three main pilgrimages of Christianity. One is the road to Jerusalem. One is the road to Rome. And the one is the road to Santiago. And Santiago has been well known because of the fact that legend has it that the remains of St. James the Great or Santiago uh, remains in the city of Santiago right now because when he was martyred, a cement boat that came from the north kind of found its way to the northern Spain, now known as northern Spain or Galicia. And then what happened is his disciples, knowing that he came from all the way in Jerusalem now, basically claimed this headless body, brought it to more of the center of Spain, and then buried him there. And then that's where the church remains. So his remains are in Santiago de Compostela or the city of Santiago de Compostela. So since then, you know, for a thousand years ago, plus when people have figured out that that's where it remains, then that pilgrimage has begun from all over the world. So people started, you know, walking. Uh, in a sense, and guided by merely nothing but seashells that come from the shore to let them know where the path is and trusting wow. that God leads them to Santiago because all roads will lead to Santiago. Mm. But the metaphor for that is that Camino is a metaphor for life. Mm-hmm. It's like we all are trying to seek for purpose and a journey that we want to get to. And there are different signs, seashells or yellow arrows or seashells that will point us there. We make a decision. Shall we follow that path or should we go somewhere else? And sometimes when you're on the Camino, there are two roads. One is the, they call it like the alternative route. And the other one is the main road or the historical route. And so we make these decisions, whether you want to continue on or go to the other side or maybe stop or move forward. And so for more than a thousand years, people have gone through it. And ironically, there's so much history to that because this is also where first ATMs were created because the Knights Templar who were guarding the Camino 
from all these you know, bad people trying to rob these pilgrims with all their belongings. They created a system that allowed for now people to like drop their stuff. And then they were guarded Knights Templar that would bring their stuff in these stations. So next oh, wow. thing you know, this is where kind of the first ever kind of ATM system was created. But then besides that, it's that journey where you're alone, but then you're not because then you're with a bunch of other people going through something while going through a physical challenge. And, wow. so, so, and everyone's walking literally kind of on their own walking, with a yeah. with a backpack or kind of like their hiking gear. Are you sleeping yep. on the trail as well? Well, they have these things called albergues, which are okay. these these little hostels that the priests used to stay in or the pilgrims used to stay in uh, mm. a thousand years ago. And, and they're really old and there's like 40 people in these things. And, you know, of course, during COVID, it's not the best place to be. So I kind of <laughs> one-upped and opted to do the private rooms, <laughs> okay. bed and breakfast for okay. 30 euro more because I just wanted to make sure I was safe from COVID. But otherwise, mm. it's like an eight, 10 euro bed where you just have a bed, a bunk bed, and you get yourself. And when the sun rises, everyone begins walking again. And and so wow. and how many? Yeah, so I want to just unpack it for everyone so that people can know the gravity of the Camino because you're you're walking how many miles or you know kilometers a day? A day. I, I was averaging about fourteen miles a day. 14 miles a day. So you would walk from from dawn like till... Five hours. Yeah, about five hours. I was continuing on. And you'd stop by for a beer because everyone in Spain drinks a beer instead okay. of Gatorade. That's what they call, you know, this like, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, or a coffee just to keep themselves awake if it's cold or rainy. So I would average about 14 hours a day. I'd leave a place. I woke up real early. I woke up at like at 5 a.m. And I want to get started about 6.30 and then I want to be able to get to a place by by noon or one o'clock so I can rest. And I, I do it all over again. And I, you know, I went through the French route, which starts uh, from Saint-Jean-de-Port across the Pyrenees in France. But I didn't take that. I did the shortcut, short version, because I only had a week off from work. And so for about six days, I averaged about 14 miles a day and got from a town called Saria. And then from Saria, and then found myself in Santiago six days later. Wow. Wow. So you started in France and then ended up in Santiago. I didn't. The, the main road, the 760-kilometer right. road, it starts from there. I did the... You kind of did the shortcut. The express version and did like 130K. <laughs> but you did it in six days, which is still like five, incredible. And that's 14 hours. And what were the... Well, what were the two main... 14, 14 miles or mm -hmm. five hours a day, like around five hours a day. Uh, wow. the, the most beautiful insights for me is that that you're never alone, number one. I think mm -hmm. it's a metaphor for life. If you think you're by yourself going through challenges, you know what? The person who's also walking next to you also has some challenges in their life. And if you actually take the time to get to know them, then you'll actually share, have shared moments where you're both going through challenges, both in real life and on the ground, that then you become a crutch for each other. And you then support each other accordingly. And you realize that you don't need to hire a therapist because the therapist is the person next to you also going through the same bad stuff or good mm -hmm. stuff, you know? Number two, just like I said earlier, it's a metaphor for life. It's mm -hmm. up to you for how long or how short your journey should be. You can walk longer, you can walk shorter and then rest more, but you go by the pace that you believe not only your body, but your mind, but your spirit believes it needs to get to in order for you to answer the questions that you have when you first started that journey. Oof. And number three, have faith. Mm. I, I think 
when you start that journey, so many people are like, I got to check the map. I got to make sure that my app works. I got to, you know, do all the things, technical things. But you know what? All you really need is faith. Because if you trust that the path will lead you, Santiago, it will. And it will in due time because of the fact that it's been lined up and it's been done and gone through for a thousand years. So you're not the first one to think that you're getting lost. You know, Mm. there's been millions have gone through it. So have faith because you know what? It'll come through in the end. Mm. Wow. So powerful. We could keep talking and talking because you are my soul brother and I want to honor our time. We need to like stop this. I know. I'm like, oh, this is so good. So let's get into the final igniting round where I'm going to ask you a couple of Ooh. questions. I like and, it. The hot seats. And you can answer it as, as, as short, fast, or take as long as you need. What does it mean to be brave? Mm. Bravery for me is taking the step. It's taking the risk. It's going to some place that you're unsure of because you know there's something good in the end, especially if your intentions are pure. Mm. So for me, that's what bravery is. Oof. And one or two practices that is elevating your life right now could be rituals, practices, hobbies. Mm. For me, one of the most important things for me every single day is even before I wake up, you know, before I open my eyes, when I first get the hint that I'm about to wake up, I put my right hand on my chest and my heart, put my left hand over it mm-hmm. with my eyes closed. And even before I move my toes, I take, an, I take a nice deep breath, an absolute mm-hmm. deep breath. And I just go, I breathe in and I exhale. And I'm just like, and I say, I'm, I say, thank you for allowing me to breathe today. Mm-hmm. Because everything else comes afterwards. And if we're grateful for that breath we take, then we can actually start living. Ooh, I think we can all make this a daily practice. Love that. People forget that breathing and breath is the first thing we have when we first are born into this earth. And it's the last thing that's taken away from us when we move forward into the next life. And so we should value the ability for us to take a breath every single day that we're alive. Oh, I love this. Well, Brave Table fam, you were in for a treat with E, as always. It was such a pleasure to rock on today with you. Until next time on The Brave Table. Welcome back, fam. Wasn't it so amazing? I mean, just hearing all of the adventures from Irwin, I'm sure it sparked some kind of creative adventures that you'd want to take and stir up with your own friends and maybe even the kinds of friends that you want to be around more. Who are those people? Maybe make a list, write them down. Maybe after this episode, you might want to reach out to some besties that maybe you haven't really talked to in a long time and just rekindle that friendship. And wow, it just feels so good when you've reconnected with somebody after a really long time and you know you can just pick up where you left off. Those are the kinds of friendships that I love and they are so amazing and so juicy. And I mean, so much gratitude for so many of you who are taking those brave steps today to do that. Just like Erwin making gratitude his not just mission and daily practice, but really something in this virtue that he lives by. And you can follow more of him on the gram at E Valencia. That is V-A-L-E-N-C-I-A. I'll put it in the show notes. And you can catch him 
in New York City at a Knicks game. If you are ever there, you will always see him. He is the first ever Filipino at the New York Knicks. So yes, I'm very, very proud. And not only that, gosh, there's so many gems here today. If this episode resonates with you, we would love for you to share it with a family member, a friend, somebody that you love. Maybe this is a way to rekindle a friendship by sharing this episode in particular. So when you do that, and of course, we love, love, love your reviews. If this was like, oh my gosh, you love this, and this added so much value to your life, go ahead and give us a five-star review. We are so, so thankful that you stopped by always, and you can upload it at support at globalgrit.co. When you send it to us, we'll send you our lovely free gift, seven day emotional mastery course. That's right for you. And it is nowhere else. So go ahead and do that loves. And I will see you next time. Thank you so, so, so much for tuning in until next time on the Brave Table.